Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is actually Friday the 20th again. I'm back twice in a day. The reason I'm back is because earlier this morning when I did the main podcast, basically as I was recording, I got the news that Jim Jordan had failed another secret vote and he was not going to be speaker. And so I kind of improvised and just said a few quick things about it. But as I was running my, my long run today, I was thinking, I'm like, I, I should probably talk about this more because it seems to me like the House Republican circus is now turning into a circular firing squad. It looks like we have a lot more chaos down the road. It looks like there's really a lot of vitriol and hate amongst Republicans in the House right now. And it seems like we're not going to have a speaker for a while. And so I wanted to give more thoughts on this and why, for example, Patrick McHenry current speaker pro tempoir will probably not be the speaker any longer, why all of this failed, what's next, why the house just seems so chaotic right now, all of that fun. Now, before we get into my analysis and all of that, I just want to note that, you know, Biden gave what I would call a very coherent speech last night about something that he clearly cares about. And then earlier today, while I was still sleeping, by the way, Jim Jordan gave a press conference. And it was a really weird press conference where Again, it was all about him. I only watched highlights of it because I you couldn't pay me enough to follow Jim Jordan around because there's just not a lot there. He's he's a bomb thrower. He's a destroyer. He's an arsonist. He doesn't get a lot done. And I read a really good tweet, or X, or whatever you want to fucking call it, but it said something really funny. <laughs> it said, here's Jim Jordan's press conference in a nutshell. I can't count votes. Because a lot of people were saying it's kind of weird he gave a press conference this morning when he still hadn't gotten enough votes, he was actually losing votes, and it seemed like he was pissing off a lot of people. Now, by the way, my thought process on here is that a lot of the caucus, a lot of the House Republicans are mad at Jim Jordan, and they're mad at Matt Gates specifically, because Matt Gates and Jim Jordan were the ones who wanted to tear up the norms, tear up the speaker role, you know, hold Kevin McCarthy to the fire. And then as soon as they ousted him and put the house in chaos, then they're like, oh, let's actually make Jim Jordan one of the fire starters, one of the crazies. Let's make him speaker. And I think there were enough moderates and not even moderates. Like, I don't even want to call some of these people moderates because they're not. But they were kind of just like, fuck you, Jim Jordan. Like, why are, why are you and Matt Gates and all these other people, you know, your firebrand, unproductive, holding all this up, and now you just want the job? It seems very self-interested. And I think there was a lot of that. But anyways, I'm not going to play parts of the press conference, but I do want to play Fox and Friends had a reaction to the press conference where they're basically like, why did he do this? So I just want to play that really quick because a little palate cleanser here. So that was Jim Jordan, uh, the speaker designate, giving a press conference uh, about the, the status of the speaker's race. Uh, doesn't look like he has support yet, Brian and Ainsley. I, I'm not sure what the purpose of the press <laughs> conference was. He took questions from the folks, but it looks like he's still just trying to rally the troops. It's bad when um, Fox and Friends is asking like, bro, why are you doing this right now? And <clears throat> sorry, uh, what I would say is that, look, we all know the status of the speaker's race. It's been covered pretty clearly. It's the people's house. People can get access to it. C-SPAN, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they've all been covering it. We all know that Jim Jordan's embarrassing himself. So why did he do this press conference? It was about him. It was about getting himself out there, getting publicity, of course, trying to make an appeal to the Fox News hosts, to the base. And that's kind of been his strategy. 
is that like I've read reports about there's been like some of the 20 people that voted not or voted against him to be speaker. Like he's had some of his assistants and some of his hardcore allies like call the wives of some of these people. There's been threats to like their kids at school. There's been police that have been sent to some of the, the children's schools of some of the Congress people that voted against him as speaker. Like it seems like his threat tactics are maybe part of the reason why he pissed off a lot of people. But this guy's doing a weird campaign and a weird approach to becoming speaker, and it didn't work. Like, look, Nancy Pelosi also was good at bringing everyone together, but the difference is that she did this once she was speaker, not while she was trying to get people together. And I think it was Sarah Longwell from The Bulwark who said that Jim Jordan probably lost this, because he only knows how to destroy things and burn it all down. So, of course, he couldn't build a coalition to become the speaker. And I think that makes perfect sense to me. This is a guy, like, when you're not even speaker and you have allies and friends threatening the people that voted against you, that's probably why he's losing people. And also, it's like he's one of the bomb throwers, one of the people that probably was fine with the ousting of Kevin McCarthy. And now it's a bad look for Republicans. And, yeah, they're probably all pissed at him. So... Fun stuff there. Now, anyways, the main thing I kind of wanted... Well, there's a couple things. This, and then we'll talk about the other thing. But the main thing I did realize here is that I've been talking about how this is a bad look for Republicans. The House still has no speaker. They're going to lose in the in the election in 2024 because of this. It's just a bad look, right? And then I was thinking about this on the run today. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in a sense... Some of the bomb throwers, like the Matt Gateses and the Jim Jordans, just to name a few, the Lauren Boberts, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, they're actually kind of getting exactly what they wanted from this. The incentives have changed, and <clears throat> I'm still trying to think about the old days where they actually wanted to pass bills and get things done. But you have to think about it. The reason why Kevin McCarthy was ousted is because he did that continuing resolution to keep the government open, and he had to work with Democrats to do it. Matt Gates. Lauren Boebert, these type of people, Jim Jordan, they want the government to shut down. That's their whole purpose. That was the whole goal of some of these Freedom Caucus members. They want to be obstructionist to government. And so in a sense, by not electing a speaker, they're by default delaying a continuing resolution. And now it's like, what, 20, 25 days until we have to, again, hope the government doesn't shut down? In a, in a weird abstract way, by not electing a speaker, some of the crazier Republicans are getting exactly what they want. No speaker, and then a shutdown happens. And I think that's also part of why some of them don't want Democrats and Republicans working together to make McHenry have a more expanded role so he can remain the, the temporary speaker, at least until January. Because they see electing McHenry, or at least keeping him with more expanded roles as the temporary speaker, as an abstract continuing resolution. And so they don't want that. And so in a weird sense, like all of us are going, they're stupid for not doing this. But then again, at the end of the day, I think there's people in the base, that more MAGA base that actually likes this because it keeps Biden from being able to send any bills to Congress to get them passed. We're talking about funding. This, this actually is an obstruction to the Biden administration and to the Democrats and to everyone. And it's also a middle finger to the Kevin McCarthy's, the McHenry's, the more center, center Republicans that are probably going to actually end up getting hurt more than the crazies out of this. And so I had that epiphany on my run today. I was like, this actually is an abstract 
basically obstruction to continuing resolutions to the system, to the establishment. And this actually might help some, excuse me, some of these people like Matt Gates and all this. So again, Americans are going to suffer. Israelis, Palestinians, Ukrainians, all going to suffer, but maybe that's kind of part of it. And I guess, I, I guess at the end of the day, unfortunately, the Republican coalition is so chaotic that you have basically arsonists that don't know how to lead. It's like, I think it was John Favreau on Pod Save America or one of those. He was like, you don't hire arsonists to be firefighters. And yeah, that is absolutely true. But now the interesting thing here is that by default, Kevin McCarthy's still lurking around. He's still in the speaker's office. I would say he's almost like the de facto shadow speaker at this point, which is kind of a crazy thing to say, but he is, guys. Like, he's still the one doing press conferences, still talking. He's getting in almost brawls with Matt Gates, And it is interesting because I know it's probably fantasy land, but I was telling, I think it was my dad earlier, I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow McCarthy comes back into the mix. The moment I saw he was ousted, I said the same thing. I'm like, it would not surprise me if down the road McCarthy comes back. Now, he said he won't, but I'm, I'm just curious. Is there a portion of the Republican House that's like, can we just push reset? Can we just go back to McCarthy being speaker? Obviously, it's not that simple, but I am sure there are people that would be totally fine with that. But then, but then again, you know, and this is something I talked about in today's earlier episode, what's next? Because like, okay, does McHenry get granted that basically expanded uh, temporary speaker role until December or January? Then does Jim Jordan try to get it again? McHenry understands the consequences. He doesn't want to do it because he understands that the only way for him to get more of an expanded role is working with Democrats. That makes him toxic. The Republicans don't like him because he, by the way, this is interesting, he's, he's no centrist, but he actually voted to certify the election. He voted that, to, to certify that Biden, Biden was the president. And now he's just trying to get this process going. So he's, you know, completely off limits to the MAGA right. So he understands that. He's actually openly said he has no interest of being speaker with expanded roles for the meantime. So then do they just find another crazy person? Maybe does Steve Steve Calise, uh, Steve Calise, Steve Scalise come out and say, I've rethought this, I've reexamined things, and maybe I want to? I don't know. The guy has blood cancer. I I don't know I don't know the specifics of his health, but this sounds like a stressful process. He knew he couldn't get the votes. He didn't do it. I mean, I kind of applaud him. He saved us a whole lot of time. But I don't know. This seems like it's gonna play out for a very long time. And I don't think a lot of people realize it because it's pretty much damned if I do, damned if I don't, if you're like one of the not so crazy Republicans, because you either work with Democrats and then Fox News and the base hate you, or you put in someone like Jim Jordan, who also then the non-base that votes also is going to hate because Jim Jordan is seen as pretty politically toxic to a lot of independents and moderates. So it's damned if I do, damned if I don't, if you're in the Republican House right now. And A.B. Stoddard, who writes for The Bulwark and Real Clear Politics, kind of a centrist, she said she was talking with Democrat, or sorry, Republican lobbyists, and they were saying they would not be surprised if, if uh, Hakeem Jeffries, minority leader, Democrat, would become the speaker by the end of this entire cycle. 
<laughs> then there's the idea that she also talks about, like, what happens if five Republicans resign? They don't vote present. They don't just no-show. They just step away. Understand the consequences. Step away. <laughs> then Jim Jeffries could become speaker. It's an interesting thought experiment for sure. Not, not convinced it's going to happen by any means. But the House is really in turmoil. And honestly, like, I think it goes one of two ways if I had to, you know, look at my crystal ball right here and say one way or the other. I would say either McCarthy or Jim Jordan. Like, Jim Jordan just keeps pressing and pressing. Or McCarthy tries to make a case for coming back. And again, he gets tortured on the stake and loses all of his independence as speaker. But he comes back. And I've told you guys, I've read a lot of good literature on it. Kevin McCarthy is probably the best the Republicans are going to get right now. Yeah, he's a shapeshifter, but he had to deal with, basically, McCarthy had an easier job than Jim Jordan. He only had to do, or to deal, sorry, with two factions, right? Kind of the MAGA base and the more moderate or traditional conservative base inside of the House Republicans, and he was able to balance it pretty well. Obviously, he sold his soul to do it, but he was able to balance it fairly well. The problem with Jim Jordan is that no one seems to really like him, and that's what we're learning, is he can't whip votes together. And I think that goes back to Sarah Longwell's point about how when you become such a destructionary force inside of the House, it's really hard to actually build a coalition, build support. Like, Jim Jordan has the MAGA base, he has the centrists, he has the conservatives, He has the, like, Freedom Caucus people that don't like Trump, like the Ken Bucks, and all of them seem to hate him. Like, he has, like, five different coalitions that all are hard to court, and he's not good at it. And then you also kind of get to just his threat tactics. They're kind of scary. Like, I don't want a speaker whose tactic at the end of the day is to, like, have people threaten the family members of people that voted against him. (laughs) I mean, first off, yeah, it's just going to have them hate you even more. But then at the same time, like, it's also just not a good way to run a country, right? (laughs) Call me crazy. But the last thing I'll say, at least till we move on to my next point about the House, is that it's interesting how Jim Jordan is despised by some of these members of the House for doing exactly the same things Trump does. Like, I've read some articles, I think it was in The New Yorker, that was like, maybe this means the fever's breaking with MAGA. Because there has been opposition, even on the more far right, against Jim Jordan. And I I just am not willing to get excited about that yet. Because it seems like Trump is is just a termite. He just, or not a termite, sorry, a cockroach. He just survives and survives and survives. And all these other people are just mere mortals amongst Trump. God, I hate myself for even saying that phrase. But it's true, like, Jim Jordan and these other people... They will get condemned for reasons that Trump would just never have issues with. So I wouldn't get too excited, but it just seems like the the negative partisanship in our country has made it so Trump will always be supported by most Republicans, but maybe not as much for people like Jim Jordan. Now, the last thing I want to say is less about Jim Jordan, but it's more about the dynamics of the House in general. I'm just curious how the Republican side of the House even works together, no matter who the speaker is, because the more and more we see, it seems like they're like 99% on the way to having open fistfights on the House floor. 
I mean, I, I talked about it earlier, but they had that closed door meeting where Kevin McCarthy told Matt Gates to sit the fuck down, and then everyone started erupting into screaming. And it seems like they're getting closer to blows. I'm not gonna lie, like they're getting closer to just open fist fights. So, like, that's my big thing. Is like somehow <laughs> the Trump era really unified the Republican Party to an extent where they kind of vote when they need to together and they're unified. We have to remember Nancy Pelosi had similar majorities to what Kevin McCarthy had, like very slim majorities is what I mean. And she could really rally her base, or sorry, her party together. The, the, the weird thing about Trumpism, well, not really weird, is that like the Republican Party just doesn't stand for things anymore. Like you have the MAGA group, you have the neocons, you have kind of the Mike Pence traditional conservative types, you have the Matt Gates types, the bomb throwers, you have almost like the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boberts who are there for clicks and just to b- throw bombs as well. Like there's nothing unifying the party anymore and they all kind of hate each other. And okay, I'm um, the bulwark, A.B. Stoddard, Jonathan V. Last, JVL, good uh, conversation they had yesterday. I want to play just a little segment of it because I think A.B. Stoddard kind of sums this up pretty well. So here's a, I mean, let me just fast forward on this. It seems like this, I mean, we are in this confrontation because Matt Yates really had a personal vendetta against Kevin McCarthy, right? This is, and what began as like, you know, the, the Archduke Ferdinand getting shot in Sarajevo, all of a sudden, like now we're in the middle of a world war. Right, like what what starts as the, like this stupid petty thing, and now I, I can these guys. Let's pretend there is a speaker. How can they work together? Because it seems like a bunch of them actively hate each other. Um, no, it is true that uh, there were more things that connected you. In the past, you worked on things called bills together in committee and you cooperated. And so you had more buildup of connection and bonds and um, reservoirs of kind of trust and good faith that you would lean into when things got a little hot. And now you have those appropriators you talk about who are members of the uni party, according to Steve Bannon. And those are the people you, when you go rhino hunting, you go after those big fat spenders who just are looking for a big fat lobbying paycheck when they leave. Cause they were, you know, they were cardinals, they were appropriators and they're going to be able to make the most when they leave. And so they're basically <clears throat> as good as Democrats and anyone who wants to preserve the institution is as good as a Democrat. So, Everyone is a sellout, um, depending on the establishment, the way Matt Gates described it on the floor, literally two weeks ago, like, you guys, that's fine. You you just keep running to your lobbyists and I'm going to be fine out there because he has, he's fueled by small dollar donations. So the process has changed. The system has changed. The incentives has changed. No one does anything anymore together. And so there's no way for them to really be concerned and look out for each other. So I think that's really interesting. I think she brings up some really good points there. And that is the thing, is people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, just to name a few, they are mainly running off of, you know, small donations from small donors. And it does really seem like we're seeing a new realignment, which, by the way, I've already recorded a podcast for next week that will be coming out about that. Less of a current events thing, 
but more kind of a look at how I think a big realignment's coming. Because it does seem kind of scary, like, to the really far-right Matt Gates MAGA base, it's like Democrat or you're a rhino, both of those terms don't even mean what they are they used to mean. It just means anyone who disagrees with them or they don't see as part of their movement, which I think is actually scary in a lot of ways because it's based like Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger are all called rhinos by this movement. The three of them are ideologically diverse, let alone then pairing them with Democrats or calling Mick Henry a, a rhino or a Democrat. Like it's such bullshit and it's so scary, but that's the issue here. And I think AB touches on it well is that they see the establishment types, the ones that want to uphold our institutions as part of the problem. And so I think that is there's an internal civil war that has turned into a circular firing squad. And part of me wants to say I'm, I'm sort of here for it because they're getting what they deserve for allowing Trump to just to, to keep defending Trump or playing coy about Trump. They're getting what they deserve in a sense, but it's not good for the country. It's not good for any of us. And yeah, it, it's just amazing to me because, you know, five years ago, it seemed like the left was also getting fragmented and radical. You had the squad and all this stuff. And they honestly seem like they've come together so well comparatively to what we're seeing. And it's never good, the negative partisanship, because I think the sane people, the sane Republicans are going to make the calculation. And I've talked about this before that they don't want the death threats. They don't want to have to hire security, blah, blah, blah. So they'll just resign, leave and that just brings more crazies into the mix. So anyways, we'll keep following it. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Not not great times in the house. Again, the house circus just seems to be devolving into a circular firing squad. And that's not good for governance. Governance.